Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast where we examine the Star Trek universe from a non-Trekkie perspective. I'm joined here with my regular co-host Matt. Hello, How are you doing, mate? I'm good. How are you? I'm very, very well. We haven't got Paul with us again. He can only be here occasionally at the moment. He's on baby duty. Baby watch. Uh, you know, but he will be back and around as much as he can. Uh, but in today's episode, we've got a very special guest joining us, Michelle Specht. Hi, guys. How are you? Very, very, very well. Thank you for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you for asking me. I'm incredibly honored. You guys are a ball. <laughs> oh, You're very you. funny. I'm excited. <laughs> um, to Trekkies out there, you'll probably know Michelle best from her role as Dr. McKenna in Star Trek Continues. Probably, I'd say, the most celebrated fan film series of mm-hmm. Star Trek around. Like, yeah, at the end just of the that. whole impressive uh, production all around. So it's been yeah. fantastic to yeah, get to speak to you on that. So And also one of the voices in Star Trek Online. And we're going to talk about that today as well as lots of other various different things uh, about your life and career. We're going to go deep, Michelle, so be ready. <laughs> oh, um, God! <laughs> and, but first things first, what we like to ask our guests is Star Trek credentials. Uh, what of Star Trek have you seen? What haven't you seen? What are your favourites? How did you first get introduced to the world of Star Trek? And if it's nothing, that's always this is okay. The safe this show is for the that. safe space where you don't have to lie <laughs> about how much Star Trek you've seen. Oh, I don't have to lie, because I am a total Trekkie. I am an absolute Trek nerd. Star Trek uh, Next Generation was what I grew up on. That was the first serial, serial kind of sci-fi show I started watching. It introduced me to the world of sci-fi. Um, I love all of the series. I have seen them all. Uh, now as an adult, I would say probably DS9 is my favorite. In fact, I'm doing a rewatch right now of DS9 with uh, a friend of mine. Um, I've seen all of the movies. Um, both from the original timeline and the and the new timeline, Abrams timeline, um, and yeah, I'm a fan of it all. So uh, bring it, because I feel totally confident ans- wow. answering any questions you might have. But yeah, but I'm a total I'm a total Trek nerd, absolutely. Have you seen that new uh, film about DS9? What no, I have not. Although I have pre-ordered it on Amazon, so when it is released, I will have it. Um, and oh, and I'm also obviously Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, new se- the new series. Love it, love yes. it. I love it. I'm all about it. It's a see. I'm I am of the ilk, and I know not all Star Trek fans are that this is a very big sandbox that Star Trek has at its availability, and I will take any amalgamation people want to do. Mm. I'm not uh, threatened by it. I don't nitpick about it. Um, I mean, come on. That's not very um, IDIC anyway, if people are very nitpicky and critical and all that kind of stuff. At least I feel. So, uh, yeah, I love all things Trek. I'm, I'm open to it. I enjoy it. Take what you like, leave the rest. Yeah, I mean, we, we yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I suppose Star Trek is a franchise when you can do that because there's so much of it. Yeah, you're never yep. going to get around to watching all of mm. it, although I'm sure there's people who have. But you can really pick and choose. <laughs> you can really pick and choose yeah. with it. And that, um, that definitely might be a tougher thing going forward once Discovery's further in and Picard's out and there's more animated shows. Yeah, if you talk to oh someone God, coming in... Oh my God, I cannot in, wait for Captain Picard's series. Oh, it looks so good. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, I was at Star Trek Vegas when they made the <laughs> announcement last year. Lost... Oh, can I cuss... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Lost my shit 
literally became a, a, a maniac along with the rest of the audience. It was incredible. Very, see, very, that, very, point, very excited about at that. At that point, did people know what was coming? Or was that when it was first, first announced? That was when it was first, first announced for sure. There, of course, were all mm. these rumblings about what they were going to do. We knew they were going to be doing more series, but what was that going to be? And, like, you know, I kind of have a few people that are on the <laughs> inside, guys. So <laughs> I might have had a little, like, uh, rumblings. I could hear some, like, little whispers, but nothing was for sure. But that was the official announcement. Yeah. Because I remember that. I remember it, that whole Vegas thing went really blew up with everything, wasn't it? And that's yeah, when it was we were like, oh, so... that's when we realized it was going down. So, oh. Yeah, it, yeah. It was, yeah, it was crazy. And it was really cool that, yeah, because the official announcement was there. And it was really cool that they chose to do it there, really. Because it was kind of rather than like Comic Con or something mm. like that. Because it really showed that they were kind of honoring the fans, going, we know this is going to be mean so much to so many people at that thing. Right. And it's really kind of interesting because they're, they're dedicating all this time and energy to kind of, um, opening up new or uh, revisiting avenues of Star Trek, both that are new as well as that are going to really please lifelong fans. Mm. Um, they're really engaging the fandom right now. CBS is. They're super duper engaging the fandom. And all of the performers on the show, too, as well, the actors, are doing an amazing job. I don't know if they planned that. I don't know if they even knew what they were getting into when they started <laughs> the show, like the Discovery cast members. Um, but they are so engaging and really involved with the fandom and, like, interacting with them. Um, so it's kind of like lit a fire under the ass of a whole bunch of Trekkies because there's um, – uh, new material coming out, as well as the expanded universe of characters and 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 lives that we already are so incredibly attached to. So it's it's really an exciting time for Trek nerds. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, no, exactly. I couldn't agree more. I mean, obviously, we've just had Shazad Latif on the show, uh, yeah, Ash Tyler in Discovery, and so that was the, he was so welcoming and and so nice. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of giving giving his time to us, and uh, yeah, gave us a tremendous interview. So yeah, that really does feel like that's the yeah. case. They, really they've connected. picked a really good bunch. Yeah, or people, yeah, you know, people definitely. and actors for that show, and it feels like yeah, that's that's the thing going forward. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, um, we often talk about how we seem to be have launched a Star Trek podcast at the right time because it's kind of in its biggest purple patch ever. Yes, right now. yes, like, yeah, yeah you guys on. really did. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely been a huge, huge thing. Yeah, we did all that on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah of course, of course. So what was your first experience of Star Trek, Michelle? Uh, was watching Turning On Next Generation and turning on the very uh, pilot episode. Uh, no, no, I take that back. I take that back. I did see um, reruns of the original series now, I never saw it. I was very, very young at the time, and I never saw it kind of in any um, consecutive order. So I wasn't really aware of kind of the the, the background and the whole um, kind of history between the characters. But I had seen enough kind of spotty episodes to know who they were and kind of what the deal was, if that makes sense. Um, but because my parents were never really into it, I never watched it with any – I feel like most people, especially with the original series – they really started watching it because their parents were really mm. excited about it and so uh, watched it um, when it was being replayed on a number of networks. Um, I did know, and it always has been, Spock is absolutely my favorite. Um, so I'm always, I'm always drawn to and most uh, attached to whichever character is the other. So it was always Spock in the original series. It was always Data in Next Gen. It's always the character who is kind of outside um, surveying and commenting and participating in humanity as the outsider. 
So that's always kind of what has um, drawn me the most. So those characters are always my favorites. But yeah, it was occasional episodes of original series. And then from the very first pilot episode, even with the little space buddy and the octopusy in the pilot episode of, <laughs> of Next Gen, um, it was watching that from the beginning. Yeah. And do you say that Deep Space Nine is your favorite? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, because they're, uh, they're, they're positioned in the universe and kind of a bit of an as outsiders, they're kind of out there next to this wormhole. There's kind of, um, it's a little microcosm of the entire universe all existing on this one station. So um, just like Babylon 5 did, which wasn't a Trek show, but uh, DS9 is kind of very similar in the fact that you're having all these different races and cultures and um, groups having having to like live and operate with each other on this one set area, mm. not just kind of coming across each other in the universe, but being within like in a physical structure in which they're contained. Um, and because they're kind of separated from most of um, the Federation goings on, um, they have a little, there's almost like a little kind of a rebel outsider kind of way that they can handle certain situations. Um, and I think that the storylines went a little... Um, deeper i think they went a little um uh darker in a way for star trek this is star trek dark this isn't yeah. like modern day dark as we know <laughs> sci-fi is very different kind of a very different school what we normally see in sci-fi um but yeah and the, the character it's the only show that has like a single parent as a captain like which i think is really fascinating so you see that kind of interplay and there's this whole kind of funky dunk um, spiritual aspect to the whole show because Captain oh, yeah. Cisco is like the emissary. Don't roll your eyes. Don't you roll your <laughs> eyes, Liam. You got to get on that train and ride it. If you're going to, no, it's like you just be on board, just take it and go with it. All right. I, but I, not being one of the people that, you know, there are people that are in Star Trek for all the techno babble. They love the ships, they download the designs, they like argue about ports and windows and all that kind of uh, that is not me i'm all about the ethical moral mm. um yeah. uh philosophical and yes even sometimes and at least in that context spiritual aspects of the storylines um so that's what really i find that kind of fascinating yeah um, i mean like deep space yeah. nine it's such like it's like a frontier town you know it's like the deadwood of totally space. And just to see yeah. like you say the little microcosm of how everybody has to deal and yeah with yeah. cisco getting to see how he deals between captaining people and then fathering a son. That's a really good yeah. dynamic. I mean, I've still only done a few of them, but it's my favorite alongside the original series so far. Oh, so, really? Yeah, well, yeah, Maybe yeah. I should recommend some uh, episodes <laughs> We've got like, lists you. coming together. We've kind of touched on it, but we're revisiting it yeah. in, you know, soon. So I'm going to try and get some more in. Well, yeah, this is the whole thing with the show, obviously, in terms of, you know, when we started, we were starting to completely as non-trackies. And Matt hadn't seen anything apart from, like, yeah. the first two Can JJ I just films. ask, I don't know if this is, like, a departure, but why the fuck did you guys start this podcast? Like, what? <laughs> why you somebody good, else? Good question. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, really? The reason, we, the reason we start, I mean, the origins of Spotlight, I'm sure we've talked to her about it before, but uh, it was very much a case of us just wanting to find an excuse to hang out, really, in terms of Matt, uh, Paul, yeah, really, I mean, Matt, Paul and I have been good friends for kind of like 15 years now, and we now live all in different, uh, Matt lives in London, I live in the centre of Brighton, uh, Paul 
also lives in Brighton, but kind of lives kind of in a suburban kind of area quite far away as well. And obviously has a new family and everything. So it was really finding a way of going, right, let's come up with an excuse, a reason for us all to make sure we're regularly hanging out. And we all liked podcasts and we were like, right, okay, why not start a podcast together? That'd be fun. We were big fans of a podcast called James Bonding. Uh, hosted by Matt Meyer and Matt Gawley, uh, where they run through all the different James Bond films. And oh, we fun! Were all film buffs. We all did degrees in film uh, in one aspect or another uh, at university, and we were like, right, okay, let's do a film series. But we need to find a film series that's long enough to last. And we thought, what about Star Trek? <laughs> thirteen films, and then we thought yep. that's a thirteen-episode commitment. And if we get bored of doing it after, we can stop. <laughs> And totally. Lots to talk about because they're famously, yeah. <clears throat> you know, good, bad, good, bad for a lot of the time. So we're like, we get to like yep. slam on some, we get to praise some, hopefully. Exactly. And Paul, Paul, although not, I say, like a proper Trekkie, was still, at, I think at one point in his life, he sort of had been. And he kind of put it in a box and left it behind. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and so, and now we've kind For of, his own safety, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like, so he wasn't getting bullied every day. Like, and, uh, so now we're like, okay, let's let's go into this. And the, the idea of the show will be, hey, we're viewing this massive fan-driven franchise from an outside perspective. Because we're like, we're the only people going to be doing a Star Trek podcast who don't have all that insider knowledge. And maybe it will bring a fresh perspective. And that's kind of become our USP. And as we go through, we've been gradually discovering the show alongside our audience listening. And uh, we like the Star Trek book club, you know, if you need to dip in and find out about every part, do it with us, you know, because we're doing largely the same thing. So Yeah, and I think it, it happened at a really good time because obviously Discovery came along and brought a whole new load of fans right. to the franchise. Yeah. And over here in the UK... Netflix got all of Star Trek on it at the same time. It got all of Star Trek, every series, plus Discovery. So suddenly loads of people had a really easily accessible way of checking out loads of stuff. And yeah, we we were always very much, if we're not enjoying it, we'll stop. But we all got into it, mm. essentially. And now we're actually enjoying the journey. And it's a kind of manageable pace because we do it alongside the podcast. So. And the sort of people we're getting to talk to, like yourself, and like people are involved in behind the scenes, or they were directors of the show, or actors in the mm. show. And there's a whole wealth of people to talk to around the franchise as well. So, And because I think of the fact that we do oh. come from that kind of outsider world, uh, we can kind of talk to people about not just Star Trek, but kind of the rest of their careers as well. But yeah, before we get into kind of your work in the world of Star Trek, let's roll back right to the beginning. And you tell us when you first decided you wanted to become an actress. Oh, God. <laughs> um... <laughs> I think I came out of the womb doing jazz hands. <laughs> I think pretty much that's kind of how my parents tell it. And um, yeah, I can remember from a very early age. I remember being in uh, kindergarten and um, perf <laughs> performing a song about a dinosaur on stage and making a point to walk out in front of all the other students and sing the loudest and, and motion to the audience. And that was at four years old. And I still remember the song. So um, I've always, always kind of had the, um, had the urge. 
um, for better or for ill, uh, to be an actor and, um, did it all through, uh, like school, primary school and high school, and then went on to study, uh, a double major in college in, uh, theater and classical vocal music performance. I was also a singer, um, and, uh, uh, did a couple internships in, um, actually one major one in, in college, um, my senior year, and then studied abroad in London, my senior year of theater. And um, then uh, <laughs> after I graduated under the uh, guise of saying, yeah, I'm going to go back to uh, London and, and study more and maybe even audition, uh, I moved back to London because of a boy. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, that I met, um, but also to become a bartender at the Royal Albert Hall and uh, party and travel. So um, nice. that was kind of the way um, the first part of my career went. And I was there for about three years and then came back to the States and moved out to L.A. to um, um, really get started and having no idea where I was going to start at any of it, really not having any clue at all. Uh, coming from a theater background, it's a very, very, very different thing. Um, coming out to uh, Los Angeles, which focuses on, obviously, on camera. So how to audition uh, for commercials, how to get an agent, how to, you know, do all of that. I really knew nothing about, and that was definitely a learning curve. And I don't know if I ever got really good at it, quite frankly. <laughs> but um, started right away as soon as I moved out here and joined a, a theater company and then joined a, um, a sketch comedy group. My, I've got a lot of, um, eight, did eight years of sketch comedy, um, putting on shows and touring around at different comedy festivals. Um, both around LA and in, around the country, and um, got an agent, both a commercial agent and a theatrical one, started auditioning, started doing some voiceover, and um, kind of went from there. So, yeah. Amazing. Was there a particular focus getting started, whether you wanted to do more stage or comedy or drama or film or TV? Was there a, a focus? Well, I felt very comfortable doing stage, but in Los mm. Angeles, you cannot make money really doing theater. Right. I joined a theater company and really loved it and did a lot of, I did several shows, was part of one that was up regularly putting on um, pieces, but you can't, as much as I wish and wanted to make believe there for a few years that I could make a living at that, you can't. Um, not in Los Angeles anyway, not really. Um, there are other cities in the U.S. you actually can, but not L.A. is not one of them. So um, it was kind of having to face the fact that I would, I would really have to kind of learn how to um, do the audition process, at least mm. somewhat proficiently if I wanted to start making um, a living at it. Um, and the sketch group that I was a part of got noticed by a few people in development, both on a couple different network situations, and we were in develop once. The two um, main founders of our, our uh, sketch group started their own actual production company offices, and we were hired by VH1 Network to write and produce and direct their very first and only scripted comedy series, and it was based on our sketch show. Um, so we did that for a year, which was actually pretty amazing. So we were making a, a TV show, writing and directing and performing on the, on a stage of a, making a sitcom with my best friend. So that was kind of the culmination of performing live for eight years. And it was, it was really fun. And after that ended, um, I started getting some feature film roles and doing a lot of commercials and doing a lot of voiceovers. And for a few years there had a really nice, um, kind of regular, like, that was how I made my living. So it was really neat. And um, actually, right before I got the web series, <laughs> I decided to stop. Like, I wasn't going to do acting anymore. Um, and, like, told my agents and said, don't send me out for a while. I'm kind of, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not, not really feeling uh, the draw to do this anymore. Um, and then um, 
we started making <laughs> STC. So it was kind of actually lovely because making this kind of web series, which was very much a passion project, um, we went down our sets, our standing sets, uh, they're in Georgia. Most of us live in LA, but a lot of our production crew and um, people are kind of scattered all over the US and even Canada. We would fly in about two or three times a year to shoot the episodes and we would be there approximately 10, like 12 days, 12, sometimes 14 days, depending, shooting each episode. Um, and then uh, coming back to LA to do um, other stuff in between. Um, and making that kind of series with a much more condensed crew, um, it's not. It's it's very different than when you're hired. Like it's a crew is hired on a soundstage to do it. These are mostly uh, people who really really want to be there. They're not making any money. They're or mm. not making a lot of money. They're basically you know th like literally having to give of their own like uh, vacation days and mm -hmm. time off to be able to do this. And it's with the same group of people every time. So it became like a family. And we did that for like five years. And then we started um, being invited to conventions to screen them and talk about it and kind of introduce us to a whole um, world of Trectum, both that's on CBS and Paramount and then us doing it independently. It was really neat. So, Yeah, before we get to Star Trek Continues, you said that you, at one point prior to that, um, thought about giving up acting completely. Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? It came from basically the realization that I think um, – a lot of, well, I don't know if a lot, at least for me, the whole reason I got into it, um, uh, my motivations were not necessarily healthy ones. Um, and the parts of me that were uh, activated and, dare I say, exacerbated by the whole process of living as an actor, which is a really bizarre existence, I'm not going to lie to you. You're, you're, you're on your own a majority of the time. Um, you're not interacting with others unless you're part of a theater company or part of a, a group that's getting together to create their own material, which is wonderful, but that's not an everyday daily thing. You don't have a regular schedule. Hmm. So you are hoping for auditions. You're kind of doing whatever you can do on your end to help make that happen. When you do get a notification for an audition, a lot of times it will be literally the night before, um, which for me is in my personality would like every time it's this, this, um, this kind of living day-to-day -day of completely unknown. And when you are given an opportunity, it's last minute, you're frantically trying to do as much preparation as you can. You're trying to put together even like the fucking costume that you want to do or whatever look you want to do to get, to get prepared. You're frantically trying to um, find a friend of yours or a coach that can help you prep for it. Um, you're driving down to God knows where, spending an hour and a half to two hours to get there, finding parking, getting yourself in there, not knowing who's going to be in the room, how attentive they'll be. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're literally ordering lunch while you're kind of standing up there and giving this preparation that you may be spent anywhere from 12 to 48 hours preparing. Uh, and, and there's, there's so little kind of in your control. Um, I, at least for me, found myself really on a day to day, even though when you book, which is, you know, basically, if we're to be honest, most working actors, it's 99 no's, and one yes. That's kind of the way it rolls. Mm. So a, a lot of the time, you're just trying to get the, the chance to do what you kind of trained for a number of years to do and are continuing to train while you audition to be able to do. Um, and that existence, the 5% of the time when I was able to do the work was wonderful. Absolutely loved it. Um, 
really fed me in a lot of ways that I felt um, were fortifying kind of on a uh, psychological, emotional, you know, kind of level. But the 95% of the time in which I was not working, which is really, you know, the majority of life as a, as a working actor who is not in the top 5%, um, was really soul-sucking, for, at least for me. Um, I found it exacerbated parts of myself that were not healthy. I found that kind of my anxiety level was, I mean, cuckoo. Uh, mm. Not having a predictable schedule, not having, and even when I was working, like even when I was making the TV, sh- the TV show, I was like, okay, so for the next X amount of months, I've got a job. Uh, it's always about like, okay, well, what's going to be the next job? What's going to be the next job? And some people, a lot of people can find a way to like reasonably or have kind of the centered self that are able to kind of really be healthy and remain centered in that kind of schedule. I was not. I was not. And yeah. I've seen, and I forget her name. She's an amazing actress. She's on um, the Netflix series Glow, the blonde who plays, um, oh, and I'm forgetting her, her name. Gilpin. She's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. And she actually talks about that kind of cycle. Mm. There was a particular yeah, interview. Sure, Someone sure, sent me a video link. Yeah. And I was like, nail on the head. That's really kind of what you are living with. So I got to the point, and it was when I turned um, 40, <laughs> as a lot of female actresses do, I think, where I was like, okay, um, what is this serving? Like, what, uh, I remember sitting in an audition room, actually, and I was looking around, and I was looking at the copy and kind of looking at the women around me. And um, the copy, even the copy, the copy was so, like, everyone was very, like, boobalicious. And, like, it, it has, like, this cartoon that was kind of, um, you know, just showing the plates and kind of laying out what the what the shots would be. And um, so fucking just stereotypical. Uh, um, oh, just even I, the storyboards I, on paper. Just even like- the, yes, even the storyboards were like, oh, God, like, is this oh, what I've trained so many years for? And, um I'm looking around at this room at a bunch of women, like beautiful women, uh, but they're around my age, 38 to 40, desperately trying to look like 22. And um, I'm looking at this and I looked at that and it literally was almost like a lightning bolt. I was like, what the fuck am I doing this for anymore? Like what what, what really is driving me and what um, what am I really receiving mm. from this? Is this serving me? Is this serving me anymore? Like, is the give and take of what I'm putting into it versus what um, I'm able to produce, is it serving who I want to be? Like, uh, not just surviving. Is it really kind mm. of helping to grow who I actually want to be as a person? And I was like, nah. And I literally stood up and walked out. And I got in my car, called my agents, um, <laughs> literally just said, um, I left that audition. Uh, don't send me out. Put me on hold. Kind of put a pause. And... Both of them were like, um, okay, how long? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And that was it. That was the last time. And I've spoken to them since, but that was the last time I was actively auditioning. Mm, Um, I've been able to do a lot of really cool stuff. And when people contact you and say, hey, do you want to do this? It's because I've worked them before or it's like a passion project. Um, Absolutely. I love that. Um, But what I found was, at least for me, I did not, I had never kind of given myself or grounded myself in kind of who I was. It was all, I was being defined by the amount of like affirmation, attention, confirmation I was receiving from others. 
And so I had never really had that sense of self of knowing who I was and not really like either I get it or I don't get it. It's mm. no big deal. Like all my eggs were in that basket, mm. not just employment, not just um, an income, but uh, personal identity, self-worth, uh, self-confidence. Um, it was all in that basket. And so I, I really, that kind of was like, whoa, um, no, like I don't, I really don't want to live my life like this anymore. And I had no idea, you guys, when I actually started, like, um, like I just, it, the first thing I was like, well, I'm just going to get like a job, like a job, like a job. I don't even care, like any kind of job and just have like a regular schedule. The level of anxiety when I just got like a part-time job the first time, which is like that, that first kind of job I'd had in years, the level of anxiety I had went, poo, dropped immensely, immensely. I had no idea like what, um, like what I was living with and what I was kind of existing on the rhythm and the, and the, I, I just had no idea like how anxious, mm. how, um, just constantly there was no like rest. There was no peace. So even just doing that and having that level drop literally about 75%, I was like, motherfucker. Wow. I had been pretending. I really have. I've been saying, oh, I'm just like, a, I'm totally good. It's all fine. I can, you know, I either get it or I don't get it. And it's fine. And that was absolutely a lie. Mm. Yeah, absolutely sometimes you just a lie. need to have that step back to realize just what it is you were absolutely. in. Absolutely. it sounds so absolutely. crazy. Like, so brutal, the audition scene in LA especially. Like, um, it's no surprising so many people band together and make independent stuff, independent movies or sketch shows and stuff. So it's incredible right. that world led you to that VH1 show because it feels like, yeah, right. you make your own work and then that's the way because if you and it's amazing the stuff, you get crazy. And when the show is on, here's another thing. Like you work for years and then you're a regular on a show and, and like you're going to Golden Globe parties and you're like doing all this really like you're doing press and doing interviews and, um, and then I'm getting more auditions and because work begets work, right? And then I'm like, I booked a feature with like Harvey Keitel and I'm like, oh my God, this is like, I'm there. I'm totally there, right? So that was good for about like a, like the show ended and then my, uh, like I was booking regularly and auditioning regularly for like a year after. But then you would think like you're there, like you put in a certain amount of time, you put in a certain amount of study, you work your ass off and you think when you achieve a certain level, like that's going to be it. Like you're going to stay there. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. It never goes away. About a year and a half later after that show ended, it started dipping down again. And when, when, here's the thing, at least for me, when the work started dipping down again, like the number of auditions I was getting, what I was booking, the number of jobs I was booking, my self-confidence just started to go boo. And that absolutely affects who you are when you're in the room. Mm. It's that absolutely circle, isn't it? affects. Yeah, like, course, yeah. If you're only ever as hot as your last job, and then when your last job starts getting further away, it's like you start going down. Yes, start blaming yes. Yourself, All of a sudden, like, you're like, "What am I doing wrong?" You're second guessing yourself. You're to you're more anxious. You're walking into the room. They can kind of smell that. Like you're like, mm. Fuck, "I really need to book this job. Really need to book this job. I need a job. I need a job." That is, it comes out of your pores. There's no way not to have that be a part of who you are. And I was just someone who never learned how to be able to set that aside mm -hmm. and how to be able to just um, do what I do and kind of leave it. I just never really, I never figured out how to do that. And the so, performance uh, is all about confidence to a certain degree. Absolutely. At the end of the day, like, even if you're acting like someone who is not confident, you still got to have the confidence to perform that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, th that must be so hard being in that situation. Because like you say, 
whenever anyone talks about the LA audition process, everything sounds like such a cold kind of room to go in kind of thing. You know, it's it's, it's fucking La La Land. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's, it's, and, it's that and scene in La La Land. Yeah. I don't want to paint the picture that everyone's really cold and awful. I, all I'm really being able to share with you is my experience of it. Mm. There are a lot they're of people. Yeah. Yeah. Who can, and, and honestly, most of the time, they're just people doing their jobs. It's not like they, but no one has anything out for anybody else. And in fact, most casting directors, and I know this now, are just like, they're pulling for you. Like, they, they want to find the person, mm. right? They, they want to find the person. Now, whether or not they're in the frame of mind to be able to, effectively communicate to you what they're looking for or if they even know what they're looking for a lot of times they just don't even know so you just got to go in and take a crack at it do your best on what you're what you think is going on here and who you think this person is and if you're lucky it happens to to be somebody they're like oh yeah yeah that's who that is you know but um it's such a crazy there are just so many things that are absolutely beyond your control and you have to be just so okay with that you just have to be so okay with that and be okay with, um, oh God, the unfairness of it. I mean, mm. I know a lot of people. There are people that I have been on stage with and, and that I did sketch with that are so fucking talented. Like, brilliant. Abs- like, brilliant. Brilliant. And they, you would never know their names. They've never, you can't even, you know, you could barely find them doing a search on the internet. And it's just, it's there's absolutely no way of... Um, there's no uh, predictability to it. There's no assurance. There's no guarantee in any way, shape, or form that talent and hard work is going to result in anything um, notable. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what what defines success to you? Mm. What does being successful mean? Like, I made a living as an actor for a number of years. I was able to do a, a, a sitcom on, on TV. I was able to do feature films that screened in theaters. I did a lot of commercials. I was a, I'm able to do voiceovers for both uh, commercials, for um, animated uh, uh, shows, for video games. Like, quite frankly, I was very fortunate. There are a lot of people who weren't able, that never got to do the amount of work that I did. So, like, what, what gauge am I using? Like, when is enough enough? And what, what, what am I in it really for then? Because I, I found out that I was in it for the wrong reasons. I was in it for um, external reasons, not internal ones. And um, I was looking for things in the outside of myself to, to it was all outside. It was, um, it wasn't, it wasn't, I needed to like, <laughs> I needed to like kind of take a look at what was going on inside me, both psychologically, emotionally philosophically what i was what i was what i was trying to actually achieve like what is really important to me um and that was enough to to show me yeah you this isn't this isn't serving who you want to be it's really exacerbating all the shittiest parts of yourself like the parts of myself i don't like um the parts of myself that yeah i don't want to focus on so that was just my experience I mean, you said uh, a moment ago that you feel like you were motivated by the wrong reasons. And you said earlier that literally you came out of the womb like wanting to be an actor, essentially. So like, yeah. as, as a kid. But I'm interested to dig into that then in the sense of there surely must have been, even though obviously you had that performance kind of motivation from a young age, a moment where something pinpointed with you that this is what you want to do because you say you motivate you were motivated potentially by the wrong reasons what, what do you think those were and kind of you know what were you chasing right um so i 
I know that I'm, I'm absolutely a performer, but there are a number of situations that you can be a performer. Mm. There are a lot of situations where you can be, um, I mean, I, it's, I know that I'm skilled in certain things. I'm, I, I know what I'm good at. Um, and yeah, if, if I also had along with it, the sensibility of, um, knowing that already before embarking upon this sort of, um, uh, uh, this sort of job, um, I could have probably functioned fairly well and kind of just seen things in their, in the proper perspective and seen things right sized. But, um, I, I'm okay. How can I say this? Uh, I know that I'm a, a, how can I say this? Let's see. Um, I love performing. I'm meant to perform. Absolutely. But coupled with that was, um, interiorly what I was hoping to gain from it. Um, it was what I was seeking along with it. So that skill set alone wasn't what was being put out there. What was also being put out there with this natural skill set was also an interior lack of self, looking for self-identity, looking for, uh, for affirmation, looking for love, looking for someone to tell me I'm funny, someone to tell me I'm worthy. Like it was a, there was a lot of missing interior uh, to my person that was also coupled along with that performing skill. Now, if I had had that interior sense of self and groundedness, then going out and using the skill would just be me like using the skill. And I could have, there could be an objectivity between the process of auditioning and looking for work and doing what I do and, 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 and an acceptance of understanding like, well, you know, I'm going to, most of the time I'll be turned down and occasionally I'll get work and that'll be great. And I'll, I would have a separation between the work um, and the gaining of work versus me as a person. But I, I did not have that for whatever reason. And we can go into, you know, as I have with my therapist, like uh, different <laughs> reasons why I never had that kind of centered self to start with. That was something I had to get um, later on. So mm. for it was... It was the realization that, yes, along with this skill set, which I do know I have, I know what I'm really good. I'm really good. I'm really good on stage. I'm really good with broad comedy. I've got a hell of a sense of timing. I'm very quick. I'm, I'm funny. I'm funny as hell. Well, I really yeah, am. We I can the, be. Uh, the sitcom clips earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I, like, I know I can do that. Like, I could do, like, quite frankly, what would be, like, my dream job, frankly, would be, like, a mom on a Disney Channel show. Like, that, which is, like, literally the size and scope of it is almost like Panto, what you guys call Panto. Mm, like, yeah. it is, like, it's, like, children's theater. Like, because, uh, honestly, that's not, that's me as a person. Like, <laughs> that's why it would be so easy. It's just me being me. And I did not a Disney Channel show called Kicking It. And when I was on the set, uh, like literally the exact producer was like, oh, you can go broader. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And he was like, oh, no, like you can like take take the lid off. You can just I know you. We saw you in the audition room because you, you, I'm always being told, like, take it down a notch. Dial that. Like you're at a 16. Let's bring it to a four. And he was like, no, you can just you can just go. And I was like, motherfucker. Give me so I'm like stretching out. I'm like stretching out, like getting ready, because that's the first time like on camera. I've been told just go for it because that's where I like exist. So. Um, so anyway, like that, that I have that. That is absolutely part of who I am. But unfortunately, along with it. Um, at least for the first part of my life, has been that um, also a lack of self. 
also really not a not a grounded sense of um, who I was outside of that skill set. Hmm. So I wasn't able to um, kind of have objectivity about the whole process of auditioning and about the whole process of show business. Do you feel like the role of Dr. McKenna when you came to do that helped you kind of realign those things slightly? Well, yeah, what was interesting is when I decided to stop, one of the things I was seriously considering was going back to school and getting my master's in psychology and becoming an MFT, which is a marriage and family therapist. (laughs) So um, it was really funny that I was able to kind of embody, at least in my, you know, untrained mind, what a therapist (laughs) does, as well as my love of Trek in this. That's why, honestly, STC was so perfect. It's with this tiny group of people who are extremely passionate and believe really wholeheartedly in what we're doing in the world of Star Trek, which I love, which is a whole vision of uh, hope, right? Mm. That's what really, and we've heard that in a number of different ways, how that set Star Trek apart from other sci-fi universes is the fact that it's really all about hope. Um, And then also... um, doing this in a situation where I wasn't having to, um, you know, it was steady work. So I knew where I was going to be. I knew the people I was going to be working with. Um, So it was kind of a wonderful Mm -hmm. mix of all the like life-giving aspects of performance for me, which made it really wonderful, like really wonderful. I couldn't have like, you know, the universe kind of just plopped that down and really kind of gave me this situation in which I could experience performance um, in a very life-giving way situation yeah as opposed to kind of a soul-sucking situation that's fantastic so it yeah because it's really beautiful you know and working with friends and it's like in absolutely this, in this a universe, subject matter i am yes yeah and and star trek which i've loved from like like that form to i am I, I was watching next generation recently and i was like motherfucker like this show absolutely formed my character it formed the way i see humanities formed the way i see what our role is as humanity what our responsibility is mm. Uh, as humanity um the respect that we need to be uh what we need to be aware of how we are not the only ones existing there are so many other beings that are here we have to respect that like what are things what is existence like from their perspective um it's not all about us for fuck's sake like um you know it's so anyway so being able to do like have (laughs) a role and be a performer in star trek doing in a in with a role as a therapist, which is something that I think is like really amazing. And I was actually considering becoming in real life. And, um, it was like, it was like really amazing. It was beautiful. With with your character being one of the new kind of additions, it's not, it's not an existing character. It's a new one. Was there much discussion with you as well about how this character fits into this world? And it's like, you know, with the show being essentially the fourth season of the original series, was there like, Oh, let's see which new characters we have. It was a discussion of where your character fitted in with the original crew having knowledge about the other sort of characters that have come since, but obviously timeline-wise aren't around. So was there a good niche for it to fill, and who did you like take inspiration for for the, for the character? You know, that's uh, funny. You would, you, <laughs> you would hope that um, we would go into it with a whole lot of forethought and said, but, <laughs> but no. Um, when, when we did it, we made that pilot. We had no idea if we were going to be able to make any more. No clue. It was entirely possible that we would make one episode just for ourselves, say we did it, and that would be it. So we had no idea how long or how much or how involved this was going to be able to be. So 
it, it actually, I think, was a gift to have it be that way. Because if I were to kind of look at it in its entirety and kind yeah. of sit and dwell on the fact, like I love to do, I will spin on, I will go on an existential rant on anything. Like I will <laughs> overthink. Just like give me, give me a, a week, and I'll overthink anything you want. Just give me a subject matter, and I'll <laughs> overthink it. But if I were to kind of sit on that for too long and think about the the, the weight of it, like you're going to basically represent the very first ship's counselor before it was ever introduced. And she's going to somehow fit in to this entire universe and have a story arc relating to these well-established, well-beloved characters that mean like the world to a shit ton of people. <laughs> I probably would have like, you know, just vomited for several days, but um, we didn't really think about it in those kind of grand scales. So taking it just in that one piece of the pilot and just having to figure that out, and just looking at that particular part of the story was much easier to mm. handle. And it wasn't until we kind of got going that I started thinking about the enormity of it and kind of where it fit in. And I would start having like little panic attacks, you know, like, oh, God, look, look, look. <laughs> like I just didn't want, you know, my goal was just not have her stick out. Just please don't have her seem like she was shoehorned in there. Please, God, because that's uh, the last thing in the world I would want mm. is to have this universe that means so much to so many people and these characters that mean so much um, have something that was just, you know, shoved in there just to have another female yeah. uh, command presence. At what point did you realize it was taking off and you were going to get to do more? And when it sort of started like affecting viewers, did it, did it filter down to you guys? Oh, yeah. Even after, like, I would think for me, um, probably after the second episode was shot, and then when we're getting ready to start, like, the third episode, um, that's that's really, for me, kind of when it sunk in, and I was like, oh, shit, we're going to, like, people like this. People really like it. And, oh, actually, I think it might have even been before that. When we premiered the very first episode, so this, it hadn't even screened yet. It wasn't even released. And Phoenix Comic Con had us there and hosted mm -hmm. us for the screening of this. Right? So we just let people know it was going to happen. We let people know what it was going to be about. No one, we had released a few little tiny vignettes beforehand. So pe some people knew about what we were doing. But again, we don't have a budget for publicity. We're not, we're not doing huge major press releases or adverts on any, you know, TV or uh, streaming services about what we're doing. It's literally word of mouth, right? Phoenix Comic Con put us in like their biggest room to premiere the first episode, like four or 5,000 seats. And we're like, who the fuck do they think like we are? Like, how the fuck are we going to fill this auditorium with people to come in and see the show? Like, how the fuck? No one's seen it. Like, they don't even know. And guess what? That theater was almost packed. If nearly packed it, to the gills. <laughs> we had, um, and Nichelle Nichols was sitting in the front row oh. right next to the amazing Kim Stinger who played our Uhura. Like, sitting next to, like, holding hands, watching it, and, and commenting together. It was, like, an incredible experience. I think that, in my mind, was like, okay, people, shit, people want to see it. <laughs> so, it was probably at that moment, I think. Yeah. What was it, because, was it, like, Kickstarter thing at the start, or was it self-funded at the beginning? Self-funded, the first episode was self-funded mostly by the exec producer, and... After that, it was all like, hey, we wanted to give you proof of concept. Um, we would never ask anyone to help support something that they didn't know was actually going to be what we said it was going to be. Yeah. It was kind of like, you know, how, how can we ask for money if we haven't even shown that we're capable of doing what we say we're going to do? 
Um, and that's why it was really important to give that, to build the sets and literally produce the first episode uh, on, on uh, independent funds, like not, not, um, fun, not fundraised, um, mm-hmm. like privately given yeah. to uh, prove that we could do what we said we were going to do. Uh, and that's what we did. And people really responded, really responded. They wanted to help us make more. And that's kind of where it went. And were there discussions in regards to performance? Because the whole point of that series is very much to replicate on every level the flavor of the original series. You know, like Matt yeah. said, it kind of feels like it's meant to be the season four that wasn't, basically. Right. And you feel as so on a performance level, obviously, acting styles have changed since 1960s television right. to now. Right. Mm-hmm. Was there a conceited effort in terms of part in terms of performance of a, basically trying to replicate a style closer to that era so that it kind of linked up rather than using a more kind of modern kind of method style, maybe? Absolutely. Um all of the actors, as well as even all the guest stars um, on that show, were theater-trained actors. Um, they were working both in television and film at that time, and a lot of times were, were appearing on a number of different TV shows and in a number of different films, as well as still doing theater. That was absolutely a part of most working actors' daily lives at that time. You can tell from the level of performance. I mean, that's why people, I think, say, oh, it's so kind of, like some people say it's hokey, it's cheesy. I, I don't see it that way. I, I see it as very, um, there is, reality is heightened. Mm, yes. Reality yeah. is, is <clears throat> like, the, everything is turned up. The, the size and scope of their performances look very, like, starkly different from what we are used to today, which, I mean, we are now doing TV in a very um, cinematic style. It's very mm. extremely subtle. It's very, like, that camera has shrunk down to really be the size of the camera. Mm. That's where your performance lies. Whereas when they were doing Star Trek, it was still like that. Mm. Our, your your performance yeah. screen was very much still still in mind of theatrical. You still had that entire set and the entire stage to play with. So you see that in the performances. You still see remnants of trying to reach the people in the back row. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Like reality is heightened. Uh, performances are heightened. It's, it's, um, it's just on a, the volume is turned up on everything. So yeah, I do think there was, and we, we acknowledge that. And you know, for someone like me, that's great. Like I, <laughs> I was still, it's still for me, a turn down. Like I'm still turning down the volume for what I would normally do, but it's, it's certainly closer to where my natural affinity lies. Um, yeah, as a performer. Like, so what, was it a turn down or a turn up for this? One? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was definitely a turn down. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, there is a theatricality to it in terms of the way it's performed but it's still very much kind of you know keeping it at that level that's already been established kind of on there rather and you know it's not yeah i don't agree that it's hokey or comedic in any way it's kind of Mm. just trying to match up with an already established kind of level that was in the original show. And Star Trek always working yeah. off of, you know, great scripts and great concepts and characters means that the the sort of hokey, if you like, style didn't downplay the drama of what was going on because this was how right. it was made and it all gets across exactly what it's trying to trying to do and be and this carries that on. Yeah. 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 I mean it's because you have a very close relationship with Spock in it, don't you? 
Yes. In, in regards yeah. to your character. I mean, and like you say, I mean, the thing, presumably, like you say, the, the character you would think was sort of invented maybe because, obviously, although you're trying to replicate a 60s aesthetic, uh, obviously, you are making a modern production now. And, you know, it's important to kind of basically get more female representation in there. And hence Absolutely. you have your character. But like you say, you obviously want it to be more than that. But then you've got your character as kind of almost an audience window interacting with these iconic characters that we already know. And certainly right. the relationship with Spock, you seem to really kind of, you know, kind of have an emotional engagement with that character that kind of helps the character development of his character going forward as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there was, <laughs> there was absolutely, it was absolutely written into the scripts and, um, um, but there was also my own personal affinity brought into it. I mean, Spock is my favorite character. So of <laughs> course Spock became Dr. McKenna's favorite character, but as a, as a psychologist, she would be so incredibly intrigued by him as yeah. this, uh, being who um, is emotional, but consciously and deliberately turning that off as far as his reasoning and um, decision making comes into play. But what I but what I love so much about Spock is you you still see that. I mean that's that that is what Spock is all about. He is not blank by any stretch of the imagination. The challenge with Spock is to just temper down the the emotions that are going on there it's to literally see that kind of that that kind of um that lid uh, slight slightly bubbling you mm. know but not not coming off like that's that's the challenge i think so um yeah they developed quite a relationship and in fact we were we were intending to do two more episodes in our original run um there were going to be two more in that season. Uh, we were not able to include that in the time allotted. And a lot of that has to do with what I know, I'm sure some, at least a few of your listeners know about with the um, the uh, ending of the um, independent Star yeah. Trek production kind of availability uh, because of the mismanagement of another uh, independent film um, that was based in Star Trek. So th that cut our our season short. So there were meant to be another two episodes that would have helped right. even further that more and develop that more. Um, but still, even without those, I feel like it was absolutely established that there was very much um, a personal and and dare I say intimate relationship between those two on probably a few different levels. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you feel like because obviously you're talking about the kind of the CBS rules that kind of came in uh, in the wake of uh, Anaxar, it's called Axanar, Axanar, um, mm -hmm. and like you know, obviously things became a lot more enforced. Uh, do you feel you were still able to kind of wrap up the story you guys were trying to tell, like in the kind of like time you had, because it was a case of you did make the final episodes that went out kind of after all that stuff came down, right? Yeah, they were very, it, they were um, extremely gracious with us, meaning um, 
they knew, and obviously we're the only ones that are um, uh, actually registered uh, and filed as a nonprofit. So um, right. our, our production company, you could absolutely see all of our, our books. I mean, it's very clear what we were doing mm. with all of the mm. funds being raised. They went directly into producing the show itself. No one was, you know, pocketing anything. Um, and uh, the folks at CBS were extremely um, kind in when we proposed basically proposed here, we, we have already raised this money before this came down. This is the money we have. These are the scripts we have proposed to do. We are going to wrap this up as absolutely quickly as possible. Um, and we would, this is what we're proposing to do. And after that, we will be done. No other, like, so when the actual um, kind of new kind of rules, guidelines came down, after that, there was no more money raised. They, we were just allowed to use the money that was already raised to co very quickly, we did like four <laughs> episodes in a year, very quickly shoot, edit, and get out those last episodes, mm. if that makes um, sense. Yeah, no, like you say, it's, it's really cool you were able to do that, uh, at least and kind of wrap it up to a certain degree. And yeah. you know, it's, it's a shame, obviously, all that kind of stuff happened, everything, because it kind of does seem to have, shot off a certain avenue of kind of fan kind of production yeah. and kind of well sort of you know fan that's how fans share their appreciation really mm. isn't it through that kind of stuff and obviously star wars do a whole thing where they yeah, kind of like yeah, they exactly. really embrace the kind of fan films that are getting made and, and maybe at some point down the line uh, especially now kind of we're living in such a big time for Star Trek. Maybe CBS will be able at some point be able to pick yeah. it up and do. They'll have so like much official stuff to worry about with their five shows on air. So you'll be able to just slip right. Away. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, you kind of yeah. feel that maybe at one point they'll embrace that in the same, yeah, in same way. Well, look, yeah. Now, Was there much pushback from CBS or Paramount or anybody at the start, like when getting it, getting it going? No. The fact that it no. was dealing with existing characters and things. No, we were in uh, regular contact with people there to make sure we right. were compliant with whatever their wishes were. And if they ever asked us to do anything, we did it. Because it's there, again, they're allowing us to play in their sandbox. Yeah. I think yeah. they saw us for yeah. what we what we are. Um, we are. We were a group of actually professionals who really loved their property and wanted nothing more than to actually... Mm. Um, encourage and spread the love of their property we we were absolutely up to honor it pay homage to it and actually produce something that would just give those people who already were so devoted something further to love mm -hmm. and put no money in our pocket so i mean it was they, they were very very pleased yeah. with us and were always uh extremely kind when talking to us and even though we had a perhaps a shorter amount of time to do what we were hoping to do i think we still hit so many things and we're able to really put in all these easter eggs and and uh, round out and make sense of a whole lot of storylines that before had no um explanation at all so um i'm and i know not just me but everybody was super proud of all that we were able to further as far as um both expanding upon and deepening and then rounding out all of the kind of leftover storylines mm. uh that were left open by the original series you know, before when that series ended and when the first movie started, you know, there was all this stuff that kind of just reality had shifted by the time the first Star Trek movie started yeah. and we had no idea how or why. So <laughs> to be able to fill in all those gaps and also plant in a bunch of Easter eggs and also give new storylines that people mm. probably hadn't even considered was really neat. 
Yeah, it's really cool, isn't it? Because obviously you never get to see the end of the five-year mission in the actual show itself, yeah. which seems nope. a kind of great shame. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to come along and try and kind of finish that off. And, and that, round it up. And that yeah. kind of relationship between production and CBS for some of it, it sounds great. It sounds like that is what it should have been able to carry on to do. It. So it is a shame that things have changed. Because that sounds like a really good, works for them, works for you. Like you're saying, right, we're right. doing, and they're saying, cool. And then you just work in partnership. But yeah, I guess... Yeah. I guess they can't have that closer contact with everybody doing it, so someone's going to fuck someone up. So, uh. yeah. Well, I think it kind of and comes they down did. to two things at the end of the day. It's like, are you making money yeah. off our product, which obviously in your case you weren't, and uh, number two, are you a direct competitor to what we're doing right now? Which again, exactly. it's a thing of you are making a very specific kind of recreation of the kind of 60s show, which is completely different to what they are currently doing. So I guess right. they can look at it and go, right, that's a very clearly that thing there. And that's for people who want to see that iteration of track. Absolutely. Rather than try to do something that's going, oh, okay, we're trying to do something <laughs> on the level that you're doing it right now. Yeah, right? if you're like, oh, yeah. we've got a new idea for a show, it's going to be a ship called Discovery. And gonna, they're like, no, right? no, no, Exactly, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, they had no interest in visiting the original series timeline and, and, mm. and closing that up. It's like, we were no competition whatsoever. Mm. So they were like, yeah, like, go for it. They were, they were very, always so, you know, very, just very kind and very positive. And, and we were, yeah, we were lucky to have an extremely good relationship. But I mean, at the end of the day, they... We walked the carpet at the Discovery premiere in LA. Like yeah. we were invited and and got to like it was just it was really neat. So we well, had a very your great show. Paved the way for Discovery in many ways. Like you said, if they said they had no interest in original timeline, then a few years later they kicked Discovery off kind of in that era and now bringing Pike right. back for series two. Like I wonder if it's it's all domino affected down. You never know, you know. But again, it's, right, that thing exactly. that it's a different. Even then, it's a different thing. Yeah, it's not the because exact thing. Obviously, although they're exploring in that kind of timeline now, they're still doing it in a sense of we're making it in a modern kind of like mm. day kind of sense. Absolutely. Kind of adapting it to that rather than going, we're trying to emulate exactly what it was going like back in the day. Like, and that must have been so cool being at the premiere and discovering kind of thinking, kind of like, wow, you know, you must have felt very much I've become part of this universe that I love so It was much. a little nutballs, yeah. It was pretty <laughs> crazy. And we had already started kind of seeing that just in, in our ability to interact and kind of create connection with other people in the Star Trek universe as far as the creators and writers and directors. Mm. Um, but that was like a really wonderful affirmation and just a really, it was so cool. We were, we were honored. And it was, I mean, like I said, we're just... We're so super psyched that new Trek is coming, and, and, and whatever way they want to do it, we're going to be happy to, to see it. Well, it's kind of mental, because when I've seen on like fan sites and stuff now, when they do polls of like favourite Trek series, like on a lot of them, Star Trek continues, gets included like in these like polls, and gets like higher up than some actual series. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah so that it's kind of funny. pretty cool in the sense of, like you say, now you go conventions and your character that was created for the show, and you, like, you're getting presumably approached from Star Trek fans now as if you are an established part of yeah. that franchise. It's hilarious! <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> people have no idea when they do come up, like, if I'm, you know, doing that, that I'm just, just as much of a Trek nerd. So I think they're kind of taken aback. I think they're expecting something, you know, and I'm like, no, dude, I'm like literally one of you. So I just get, 
I'm going to nerd out and like go off on my favorite uh, characters and shows and those kind of tangents as, as they are. So Mm. it is, it, yeah, it's a trip. It's just crazy. It's crazy. And what came first? You working on Star Trek Continues or working on Star Trek Online? Presumably, I Star Trek Online, which is an official thing. I presume right. it came about because of your work on Star Trek Continues. Yes, Star Trek Continues came first. And, um, I mean, I have a voiceover agent and I have, you know, um, I've done uh, a number of different kind of venues within the voice um, acting and voiceover world as far as booking jobs. So it was something that when that... Um, Kind of, I, I think I even met the guys at uh, Star Trek Vegas, I think it was, and um, got to be good buddies with one of the creative directors and um, just said to him, I'm like, you know, I do this and you know I would freaking, like, I'll pay you if you ever want to give me a shot to audition. And he was like, well, no, no, no. Like, he goes, you really? You do? And I'm like, yeah, let me just, I'll send you my reel. And immediately, because uh, my, um, a lot of female voice actors do the very higher, younger roles. And they actually can both play young boys as well as girls. And uh, not all of us have this kind of, my natural vocal range tends to be pretty low. So as far as doing, um, you know, villains and baddies Mm -hmm. or serious characters, that's kind of, uh, yeah, very much (laughs) in my wheelhouse. So it was kind of perfectly aligned. The first character that he needed was one of those and sent me some lines and I read them and he was like, uh, amazeballs. Absolutely. Let's, let's do this for sure. And so I've been able to come back and do, uh, yeah, do it as, as several times, which is really neat. And that must be so cool because I mean, if you look at the cast list of Star Trek Online, which is now, oh, yeah, a, a, yeah, they won like PlayStation Four and Xbox One as well. Like it's insane. Like it, it, from insane. the people have actually come and done voices for it to the archive footage that they're obviously able to use of kind of you know, actors who have unfortunately passed and stuff. But I mean, you yeah, know, it's, it's, it's basically everyone kind of like involved in chat ever, pretty much. Yeah, there is like no cooler for me. There is, like, no higher uh, uh, honor, honestly, as far as uh, a role in, in as a voice actor. Honestly, for, like, nerd credentials, like, that's it. That's, th- what, else, what else would I want to do that would, like, feed the nerddom in me except be a part of that? And they're amazing. Like, everyone involved with that game, they're seriously, like, the coolest guys and gals. Um, oh, my God, I've become my mother. I said gals. <laughs> They're the coolest men and women and total freaking like nerds as well. Total nerds and amazing and passionate and so dedicated. Like um, there it's, it is, ab- it's such a gift to kind of have like a little, be a little, a little member of that family. Super, super cool. And is it something that's getting like consistently developed in terms of they're always making more of it? Always, always, always ha- working on new releases, always working on new aspects of the releases they have out. I mean, they are always, always producing. Yeah. And getting better and better. Have you played multiple characters in that or? I have. Um, The uh, first character I played was Krog. She was an uh, assassin. Um, And, but the, the character that I've come back in a few different times to record is Loris. I took over the role of Loris. um, And she's uh, the most fun for sure. And I've gotten (laughs) to play the most with her for sure. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's cool to have something you can kind of keep popping back in on and kind of developing yeah, over time. Yeah, very much so. Because it's very been going much so. for a while now, but it's obviously very popular and, like, mm. you know, it just keeps keeps developing, which is kind of cool. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, 
if you've got opportunities down the line, it kind of sounds as if, yeah, you'd love to keep playing in the Star Trek world. Go like, you know, if there were other Are you kidding? Down the line. Absolutely. <laughs> like, my, my ultimate dream would be to be on Discovery as Tilly's older sister. <laughs> that would be, okay, yeah. like, in my greatest daydreams, that is what happens. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, just absolutely. The, the timelines can potentially match up, can't they? Could, could you be, yeah, Doctor McKenna just coming on? It turns out Doctor no. is somehow Tilly's half sister. <laughs> I don't even need to be McKenna. I will just be Mary's older sister, Tilly's older sister. Uh, you know, the actress. I'm already like calling her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <You're> like, <"What's laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In my mind, that is like my uh, like greatest daydream. For that to come true, that would be like amazing. For Talking sure. about voiceover work, how did you get into the, that aspect of the business? Because you've done a lot of voiceover for animation, anime in particular. Obviously, mm-hmm, I know mm-hmm. that you've done a lot of stuff on. Like, how do you find your way into that world? I went to um, first of all. I didn't even know that there were such things as, like, anime conventions. I knew that there were Comic-Cons, but I didn't know that they actually had some for anime. Anyway, and I started getting into anime very late, watching Adult Swim on Cartoon Network. And, like, freaking loving it. Like, not even knowing it's as... Because it's a very... It's its own genre, of course. And there's tons of it. You could never watch all of it. I know that I'm probably, at least at that time, that I was kind of watching it on a regular basis because it was part of Adult Swim. Um, watching a very select bit of it, but it was so um, unique and funky, and I just really liked it. And the artwork was incredible. All of a sudden, I was like driving around LA one day, and I saw on the side of a bus like Anime Expo, like the fact that they actually had conventions for it. And I'm like, mm. what the fuck? <laughs> like, and of course, I'm already a nerd that dresses up in costumes for other sci-fi things. So I, I, I look up on the website, and I'm like holy shit, like, number one, they make it around here, and number two, there's a ton of other people that are into this shit. So went to it one year way back when, um, and re- immediately, like, specifically went to panels so I could kind of learn about the, like, just get a little info about it because I, I knew I wanted to do uh, voiceover. I was already, like, recording things for animation, already had gone to see uh, Bob Bergen and gotten together an animation demo and was doing little bits and pieces, but really wanted to kind of do that. It's like a, the funky redheaded stepchild anime is of the voiceover world. It really is. Like, it's kind of like this weird, like... <laughs> like funky subset that kind of sits in the corner of the class and like it's you know it's its own kind of little thing so uh went and kind of met some of the people producing it and and um was really lucky to be able to audition it was jericho the video game by it was clyde barker so i like actually like auditioned for him and and it was a really like it was a really cool character she was she was a really awesome character those were like my first job so um i really lucked out Um, and, uh, so yeah, it was basically like, um, I just was extremely lucky to live in Los Angeles. I already had like some demos put together. So when I made contact with some of them, I could send it to them directly. And I'm, I'm really good in person. Um, you know, kind of made a little connection. They're like, okay, yeah, we'll send you an audition. Sent me an audition. I booked it and booked again. So that's kind of how I got started. So it was, it was me kind of, um, uh, going to a convention to find out who the even players were. I had no idea, like, who was making it or where I would even start. And um, meeting and kind of making a quick personal connection and then being allowed to audition, and that was it. It's kind of cool that you kind of came into that as a fan, again, in terms oh, of totally. the shows that got you into it. 
Um, oh gosh, probably uh, a, a Full Metal Alchemist was definitely one of them. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there were a bunch. Whatever was being shown on Adult Swim, and I wish I could kind of look at that quick snapshot because that's really where the first. The first shows that I was watching at that time. So it was back in like 2006, 2005, 2006, when Adult Swim was kind of showing in their after hours, along with their own uh, independent uh, content that they were making. Yeah, um, I mean, I didn't even realise they showed anime stuff like, yeah. on there because obviously we haven't got Adult Swim. Yeah. Oh yeah, because we see a um, lot of their. their oh, Inuyasha! Inuyasha was another one. Totally got into Inuyasha. Oh okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there were like the, the few of those major old school shows that they were showing. Yeah, yeah. were you an anime guy, Matt? Or? Uh, not a lot. Like a few of the movies. Uh, that are out there uh, and Studio Ghibli stuff. Yeah, you just like bitch. Yes. Yeah, oh yeah, my yeah, god. Yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, yeah. how could you not? That that before anything. Which is when you don't know kind of the 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 history or the background, you see something like that and you're like, what the fuck is this? Because mm. it's very um, the themes that are being portrayed and and the storylines and kind of what's going on. They're not for kiddos, right? Not yeah, for yeah. little ones. There's... And a lot of that shit. So that's kind of what drew me. It was just fun. It was like existing in a in its own plane of existence. It was really kind of a a world that mm. wasn't real, wasn't really fantasy, still kind of rooted. There was a lot of like um, a lot of those characters, especially in Studio Ghibli, where they're they're crossing over into like um, I don't know, like a my, magical world. <laughs> yes, a magical world. It's like the veil between reality and and fantasy. It's mm. kind of neat. Yeah, I really, I I imagine there's no better place to stumble upon and get into anime than like late night, like middle of the night adult swim. It feels like the place where you just have to tell on the world's dead outside. It all feels a bit strange. Everyone's drunk or high. Yeah, (laughs) that's the time. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Have you had to record a lot of screaming for characters flying at each other for like 20 minutes before they fight? Yes, there is. And thankfully, they will always save those lines for the end, which is good because you don't want to have to be doing them at the beginning because you'll 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 lose and strain. And it's super it's super funny because it depends on whether you're doing anime or video games like video games. They will say, OK, now we're going to need a series of of like uh, screams. Number one, like a series of hits. Like here you're being here you're being like punched in in the face and you're like Hoo! Like, and then it's like, okay, now you're going to be punched in the gut. <laughs> like you're doing all these kind of different action sounds. And then it'll be like, okay, now uh, you're going to fall off a cliff, but we need like a fall from like a 50 foot cliff. So give me like a four second scream. <laughs> then you're going to fall off like a hundred foot cliff. So give me a six second. Like, like, like the, it's very bizarre. Uh, but it's, it's like part of the really fun part. Yeah. It's a lot it's of fun. It's very adrenaline, is it? Anime. Like yes. that kind of, oh, those very kind much. of series. Like, you know, everyone's like, fighting and screaming at each other and kind of like, you know, it's all kind of absolutely, well, perfect for you. Like you said, it's all big. Like, you know, it's all massive. Like going up to 11. Yep, there you go. (laughs) Right up my alley. Absolutely. And now you've found avenues through that into kind of video games as well and presumably also kind of like Western animation as well. And like it's become a real, a big thing. I suppose, like you say, voice acting... Like you say, because you do like kind of playing it at that big level, it's very kind of perfect for you in a lot of ways. Kind of like that, because cartoons uh, are that heightened reality. Animation is for sure, but not video games. Video games right. are very much grounded in reality. Very, very real. Very, very cinematic 
and their performances. So only in the fact that you're having to articulate certain uh, activities and gestures that you wouldn't necessarily have to while you're on screen, mm. that's kind of the difference. But otherwise, performance-wise, it's very uh, grounded, cinematic, uh, dramatic-oriented. So no, you're okay. not necessarily um, making things bigger. That's, that's kind of for the world of animation and anime. And each of those have their own kind of certain pockets, like like worlds of performance styles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but for for video games, it's very very real, very real for most of the major ones. Mm. Yeah, getting that level of immersion like more and more now. So it's like yeah, as if you're playing playing movies and uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, I don't know fuck all about video games kind of thing. Because I'm not a big. Oh, me at too. All. I don't play them. <laughs> like literally, you, can't, oh, you to, are a big game, aren't you? On... Oh, are you? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I look up my own fucking roles on IMDb, <laughs> so yeah, I'm not a gamer. I, I definitely no. was a big gamer. Like, yeah, the last few years, maybe not so, just because in this content-laden world, I'm just buried under movies, TV, podcast, music. It's like, I think video games is the one thing that slipped out for me. So even I'm a bit clueless as to how they are now compared to how they were just three or four years ago, I think. But yeah, right. you're probably still thinking of, like, SNES days, so... <laughs> still thinking of <laughs> Super Mario, like, 1987 or whatever, like... But um, I suppose now there's more and more cinematic cut scenes, aren't there? So it's, like, getting as Very much, much of that yeah. stuff in there as possible. More emotional storytelling in the game yes. itself as well, so... Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. There's a whole, Absolutely. you know, the running joke of bad video game voiceover from the 90s and stuff like Resident Evil, and where it's just so stilted, and now it's, like, actually... And you get games these where it's like actual actors in mocap as well yeah oh yeah big time very yeah yeah it's very real very grounded okay but we will start to wrap things up anyway um because uh it's getting late um we've talked a lot but i mean it feels like we could talk to you all night so we definitely have to get you back on again <laughs> at some point like you know to chat we can chat something specifically about track at some point kind of thing like you yes know, we, we always go off on tangents anyway so definitely we'll we'll have you back at some point i mean it's been amazing to talk yeah, to yeah thank you so much and kind of get a full oh, lowdown on sure. that kind of stuff and it definitely there's definitely more we could chat about but we'll have to save it for mm. another time but tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and stuff or more information about what it is you do um, I am at Michelle Specht, uh, Michelle with one L, uh, last name Specht, S-P-E-C-H-T, everywhere. So uh, Instagram is where I tend to do a lot uh, a lot of activity as far as posts is concerned, but I do have a Facebook page and I'm on Twitter and then there's my website, michellespecht.com, and it's got all my like reels and um, even like a store with headshots and fucking upcoming appearances, which I need to update shit, I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> all that Just kind of stuff talk. so uh yeah <laughs> website and social media it's all michelle Specht. fantastic and all of star yeah. trek continues is on youtube isn't it like yeah you can watch it all on there yeah for free, I, you, and, and you can see if you go to the website star trek continues.com you can see a whole bunch of also behind the scenes stuff like it's all posted there easy access it is on youtube but it's also on vimeo if you want better quality um, but you can access all of it kind of there and have like little explanations. You can see all about the show. You can see kind of um, all the bloopers, um, the making of stuff on the music recordings, which were recorded live, um, like a whole bunch of really cool stuff. And yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of the original series, um, 100% check it out because yeah, yeah I mean, it's yeah. like watching 
being transported back to the 60s or so and watching like season four as if it wasn't cancelled or something like uh, and yeah definitely worth checking out um and obviously you get to meet dr mckenna if you do watch it so there you go well worth it just for that okay uh well um you can find us as usual at spotlight pod on twitter instagram facebook you can email us at spotlightpod at gmail.com. You can go and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We always love to hear your reviews, people. It's always great to hear um, from people what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we only want to hear what you're thinking if you've got nice things to say. <laughs> Preferably five stars. Otherwise, keep it to yourself. To say. Otherwise, you know, yeah. we, we couldn't give a fuck. Well, yeah, that's, that's basically like, yeah. So, yeah, we're fragile. Come on, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, but yeah, you know, check out there for all regular updates and stuff. And we will be back with another episode. Uh, don't know what we'll be focusing on yet. <laughs> we never, really uh, know. we never, really, we never really know what we're going to be doing next. But we'll be back with either another interview, yes, or deep diving into another Star Trek. You series, will know before we know, so. or uh, spotlight the movies, yep. or whatever the fuck we want. And Michelle will be back at some point i hope so let's yes please anytime has dr mckenna got a catchphrase (laughs) and make it so or an engage yeah fuck yeah that would be the (laughs) dr mckenna catchphrase like the uh the star trek season four with effin and jeff in go check it out star trek (laughs) goodbye everyone goodbye from me liam goodbye from me and goodbye from our guest Bye, fuckers! (laughs) Thank you.